Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The Creative Control of Ishkana podcast is brought to you by you. Virtually all financial support for this show comes from listeners just like you. So please keep Creative Control going by making a flexible monthly donation at patreon.com slash creative control. You'll be glad you did this. Not as glad as me, but still pretty glad. Thank you. David Berman is one of the most thoughtful songwriters, poets, and musicians to ever call America home. Currently based in Chicago, Illinois, Berman was the leader of Silver Jews, a highly influential and significant folk, country, and rock band, which he retired in 2009, for he himself went into a kind of exile from his public creative life. Fortunately for his fans and followers, the exile is over. Berman has returned under the name Purple Mountains, and on July 12th, 2019, Drag City Records releases the band's glorious, haunting, self-titled debut, which is a masterpiece. David and I connected recently for a conversation about why Silver Jews ended and what he's been up to since. His relationship with U.S. politics and his estranged father, the Republican lawyer and former lobbyist Richard Berman. The story of making this Purple Mountains record. Dan Behar and the band Woods where these Purple Mountain songs came from and what they might mean, future plans, and much more. As an aside, this interview has been a long time coming and is deeply meaningful to me. I'm very excited to share it with you. Thank you, David. 
Thank you, Drag City. With the support of listeners like you who subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly pledges at patreon.com slash Control, plus in-kind support from CFRU 93.3 FM, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 481st episode of Creative Control featuring the brilliant David Berman with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, David. How's it going? Hi, Vish. I'm doing well. It's nice to finally speak with you again. It's been a long time. Yeah, good to see you. Good to hear from you. <laughs> and see you a little bit using the internet. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. So first of all, what I often ask people, and if you're in an undisclosed location, that's fine by me, but where in the world are you, David? I'm in uh, Chicago. I'm in the Drag City building. There's some apartments here, and I've been staying here for a couple months. Nice. How's that going? It's nice. I mean, it's my room is right next to Dan Caretzi's office. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's the big CEO of Drag City. And so when he comes into work, he pounds on the door and comes in and <laughs> um, does his inspections. And <laughs> so it can be sort of visible, but it's good. It's I can live here for free. Okay, well that that part's good. That that part sounds good, but the constant scrutiny of of the CEO of your company that's got to be difficult. It can be, but <laughs> I just have to to Bartleby him out of the room and just I just shut down or roll over in the corner and he leaves. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad you're having fun uh, there in in Chicago. So uh, I'm very eager to talk to you about this Purple Mountains record and, and the songs on it, but I know there will be people wondering sort of what you've been up to, uh, what's going on, the logistics of all of this. So first of all, let's begin with that. Why have you been lying low since Silver Juice stopped? I know people must be wondering this. Well, I, I decided that I was 40 years old and I wanted to do something else. I didn't know what it was, and it turned out to be kind of my childhood dream to to just have a lot of time to read and I didn't accomplish very much. <laughs> well, reading is important, I, I would say. Uh, you, what kinds of things were you reading in this time? Well, I was reading a lot of political science and history and public policy and stuff like that that I'd never really read m- much about. And yeah, after a couple years, I picked up the guitar again and started writing songs and needed an, in, an income. Mm-hmm. And so I started to make a record again. 
Now, this stuff that you read, particularly the stuff about public policy, I, I'm not sure, and it's probably hidden within it, I'm not sure how much of that informs the lyricism on your new record, but you do have a blog as well, and it seems to me that maybe some of that reading you know, might inform some of that stuff. Is that fair? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, what I, what I would find that I found interesting, I, would, I needed an outlet to share. Hmm. Okay, so the, the blog, less so the record. If there's not a, is there public policy on the Purple Mountains record from your perspective? It really isn't, um, <laughs> except maybe zoning and margaritas in the mall. Right, there you go. Okay, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so the blog has been an outlet for you. In terms of stuff you've read about public policy in this contemporary era where we're inundated with you know, political dialogue and and discussions about what can be done to to fix things. What has efficacy? Did you did you come upon something striking within your writing and your consumption of that stuff? Just I came across the same obstacles over and over again, which are basically the United States Chamber of Commerce and uh, business organizations, National Association of Manufacturers, and the history of corporate propaganda, and it's subverting democracy hmm. when i played the last silver juice show was was right around the time of obama's inauguration and um i think i spent the next eight years really involved in politics i see i see and when the election of 2000 was it 2016 yeah came around i was in the midst of making the record and so I just ignored it all. And I I felt like I had shifted off the burden of caring about this stuff to other people who didn't seem to really care as much in 2012. And all of a sudden people were alarmed by things that had been alarming me for a long time. Is it a coincidence or is it telling that you basically retired from public life during the duration of the Obama presidency, but were spurred back into action by the current occupant of the White House. I, I, that's That just occurs to me as you're talking that that's, that could be a coincidence, but maybe not. I don't know. What's your perspective on that? The, I think that those rhythms are there. And, oh, okay. Hmm. You know, uh, I think that I was totally um, you know gutted by the 2000 presidential election and really, really surprised by the 2004 election. And by 2008, I was interested in what was going on, but I was more interested in the attacks on Obama hmm. and the uh, politics of personal destruction, as they call it. So these things affect my life. I, I, I don't know how it works, how it energizes me or depresses me, but when I was making the record, I was in Canada mm -hmm. first time when I was first making it and um, the election was going on and, you know, I was glad to be in Canada. It was nice and people were walking down the street holding hands and it seems <laughs> a lot nicer uh, of an environment than the one I had just been in. I was staying on Vancouver Island on the the lower east coast where the where Ladysmith is and if you look across the water 
you're looking back at the continental United States and in Canada, but underneath the 49th parallel, I kind of just glared at the United States across the water for a couple months. I was frustrated, but I've kind of tuned it out since then. I've tuned out politics since then. Well, that might be for the best on some level. Yeah, I was just going in circles. Yeah, you mentioned the being fascinated by the politics of personal destruction with Obama, and I feel like that that aspect of your work is there. Like in your lyrics, I think you, and on the new record as well, you you think about personal destruction on some level, what it means. Um, that affects you. Uh, maybe that's why you might have related to what Obama went through as a public figure and dealing with all of this external basically violent rhetoric um you related to that on some level yeah i mean definitely it's my pretty much my father's work that i think in a way revolutionized republican politics and made it far more aggressive and i it, i can i've never been able to separate you know, my upbringing from what I see on TV. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from there. Um, you mentioned Canada. I want to go back to that for a moment because over the last couple of years, you and I have been corresponding over email, and um, uh, one of the guests on my show, uh, frequent guests, is Dan Behar. And the last time I think he was on the show, he alluded to the fact that uh, he was working with you in some capacity. And I know... I'm playing a bit dumb here. I happen to know that uh, <laughs> that there's uh, a connection between your time in Vancouver and British Columbia and your early attempts at making this music. Uh, can you explain that, how that connection occurred and what happened to those sessions uh, in Canada? Yeah, I initially started out with the idea that I would make the record with Dan. I didn't know him, but actually his album, Street Hawk, was the first thing I ever bought on Amazon in 2003. And I was aware of his music for all that time. And um, I wanted to play music with somebody else. And I talked to Dan. I I reached out to him. He, I read some nice things he'd said about the Silver Jews. And um, he said, well, he'd never produced before, but he was willing to give it a try. And... I came up to Canada, but just just up to Canada, just to the, the border, Point Roberts, which is part of, of the U.S., but is at the very bottom of the Vancouver Peninsula and sort of sticks out. It's a, like a postage stamp size piece of land. I don't know. I think it's five by like five miles. Hmm. And has a very small, there's a very small U.S. border there. So to get to it, you cross into Canada and then you drive like 20 miles west and go through this small, another small border that just covers this, this little piece of, of, of land that's got ocean on three sides. It's really beautiful. Hmm. And, uh, you know, the only inconvenience is, you know, to go to the store, you know, you have to go through the border and it's a small, it's like, it looks like a bank teller size border station and it's not really it's not really inconvenient at all 
I liked it a lot. And um, I stayed there and I tried to write and I tried to finish the record and I couldn't finish the words. You know, I, I always am writing words on top of music that I've already selected and I just couldn't finish them. And I'd been up there for a while and eventually I, I said that I was going to go back to Nashville because I didn't have, I always go into the studio with everything written. And that way I feel I'm presenting this, the players with finished songs and they they react to the authority of the songs, which I don't really have. I don't carry much authority in the studio myself, personally. But Dan said, well, well, well let's try to, to, to do it the way other people do it. Just, they just make the music and do the words later. Right. And that kind of was a key to destruction because that doesn't work with me. The words and the music have to kind of go together. There's some connection between my strumming hand and my mouth that's vitally important. And so the music we put down was fairly rigid and trying to write for the music afterwards was impossible. I knew we couldn't really use it. Okay. Okay. So you left that experience with some notion of where you wanted to go. How did we get to this point where you made what we're now hearing as a Purple Mountains record? What, who did you play with? Where did you make it? Uh, these are things I don't know. Okay, well, I went home from, and I took about a year and I re, just rewrote for a year. And the problems I was having finishing the songs solved themselves. And I again decided to ask an artist who'd never really produced before the band Woods to produce the record and play on it. And pretty much the two guys, Jeremy and Jarvis, who are the guitarist and the bass player of the band, and me, the three of us pretty much made the record. Jarvis engineered, can engineer, engineer, so it went pretty fast. Again, I didn't know them. I just took a risk. You didn't know them at all? No, I, I, I don't even know if I'd listened to one of their records all the way through. <laughs> just the feeling I had. I remember just thinking, I, I knew for a fact that their record sounded good. And I guess I, I've always been of a mind that my strong, songs were strong enough that I could borrow a band and not feel self-conscious about it. That they would play to the songs and I wouldn't feel like I was renting a band. So I came up to, to Chicago and uh, we, we made it up here and a little bit in New York. I see. Okay. Well, the music is fantastic, if I might say. And I do, I don't know, you can't be objective about this, David, but this, this doesn't even feel like a comeback to me, per se. This feels like peak power. Do you feel that? Do you feel a certain strength in what you've done? Yeah. I mean, I'm hesitant to say, to say, say so because I've grown up as a student of rock history and I've seen so many older musicians talk about their return to form or a particular late work that might during the press cycle have everyone excited, but then everyone forgets later on. Sure. I'm, you know, I'm wary of saying that I think this is as strong as my earlier work, but I do. I mean, for what it's worth as a fan, is it easier hearing that from me? Like that's my perspective. Well, I mean, 
What what else would you say? Well, if it was not the case, I wouldn't say it. (laughs) I didn't. Well, how about this? Here's another way of putting this. Were you happy with how Silver Jews ended in terms of the record you made? Um, Was that something you thought was a good send off for that project and and for, for that work? Yeah, in a way. I mean, the last album, there were probably more words in, on that album than any other album. I felt like I'd really written through the album. Hmm. I felt like I probably wasn't going to do better than that album. Maybe another person could if I went away for a while and came back a different person. Hmm. But I did feel kind of like I had topped out on the last record, I was very alarmed when that point in 2008, a Pitchfork review really meant a lot, and it got a really, you know, average rating on Pitchfork, mm-hmm. six, six, seven, and that really burned me for a long time. I felt, I really felt, why well, I really tried as hard as I could, and I really got the message back that. Maybe I had peaked. And so I decided to walk away from it. And also, quite honestly, I always had the feeling that older musicians stuck around too much and used too much resources, too many resources, hmm. and that I could get out of the way and make room for some someone else. But then, I, you know, after when I started writing songs again, I didn't really feel like anyone else had come along and done the exact same things I was doing. One of the weird things about my my place and time is that there's not a younger generation that came up behind people my age to make us feel obsolete. Hmm. You know, I'm 52, and I still basically live like I did when I was 22. I never had to grow up. And I never had a younger generation below me telling me to move on. That's interesting. That's just a cultural feeling you have. Yeah. yeah. I, I know that for a fact that it was just the changes going on below you that made you feel that you were an adult, that closed you out of the world where rock and roll was made. You kind of were given your papers like at, after a certain age. But I never really felt that way about, especially about the other artists on Drag City, and they just seemed to keep going and again, I I just never felt pressure from below. Yeah. But at the same time, you felt an internal pressure to change. I mean, obviously, you could have just as easily potentially returned under your old moniker, but you retired it. And now you have Purple Mountains, which yeah. is at the very least a reference to a, a poem, a song, a popular... It's America the Beautiful, I believe. Um, yeah. This is my Canadian perspective on this. Uh, <laughs> but um, do you want it? I don't normally ask people about names, monikers, switches, but it's significant to me that you've returned and fully are past Silver Jews into Purple Mountains. What is the significance of that change? Have we, have we discussed this enough already? I'm just curious. No. I think that Silver Jews was a very burdensome band name, and um, it confused people or... I never made it clear what I meant by it. I think it wasn't really even until the end that I really realized what the proper definition of a silver Jew would be outside of the 
context of my music, which was would be a Jew that is Jewish down through patrilineal descent, which would be a, a Jew that's not a Jew, really. It's the outsiders to the outsiders. It's you it really sucks when you're Jewish from patrilineal descent because you you get the last name but none of the benefits of being Jewish so you get the marker but um as you know probably know in Judaism your mother has to be Jewish yes so and my mother converted before she was before I was born but it was it never really took i see so there aren't different kinds of Jews. I mean, there are. There's Sephardic and Ashkenazi, but Judaism's Judaism, and there aren't secondary Jews. There aren't partial Jews. So a silver Jew isn't a Jew at all, really, but it conveys belatedness, hmm. even of my interest in Judaism, which came very late in life. Right. But in the end, I felt alienated for precisely those reasons um, from fully dissolving myself in Judaism. So given your exploration of public policy, maybe American politics, does Purple Mountains have that significance? Is it related to that? Well, it is. I mean, it's kind of cynical in a way to take that name. It's kind of hijacking the unofficial national anthem. It's a bit of a satire. Yeah, it's just a piece of of almost public property. Hmm. But actually... It's interesting because Purple Mountains, with the S, is a mondegreen, like, excuse me while I kiss this guy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually not Purple Mountains Majesty, but Purple Mountain Majesties. Oh, okay. So, right. So Purple Mountains is never really said in the song. So... I don't know. Uh, the name change just seemed like came along from the very beginning when I was writing the songs. I knew that it would be under a different name. Right. Now, I wonder if you would be willing, David, to indulge me in something of an exercise where we talk a little bit about each of the songs on this record. Would you be willing to do that? Sure. I'm just curious about various things. And we've been doing some stock taking here. Uh, in terms of catching people up and, and catching me up on where you've been. But I feel like that's just the way I feel, which opens the record, is this a similar kind of pronouncement. Here's kind of what I've been doing, how I've been feeling, what I've been up to. Is that what you were kind of going for with that song? Yeah, yeah. I had the idea that I could be pretty honest. I haven't, I've never been afraid to be autobiographical these songs are very autobiographical Mm -hmm. yeah that's just what it was it was just an opening introduction to the record well you've done a thing here with woods that i find fascinating and we'll get to it maybe with each song uh, the each relevant song like that's just the way i feel all my happiness is gone uh maybe i'm the only one for me these are all pretty dark very dark sentiments in so many ways, but you've packaged them as these very jovial kind of pop songs, <laughs> which I find my wife was saying that it will be interesting to hear people walking down the street singing, all my happiness is gone. Like it's such a <laughs> dark yeah. sentiment, but it's so pleasantly uh, rendered. Uh, was that intentional on some level? There's like a dark humor thing maybe? I think so. I mean, once the songs were written, it just complexifies the, the profile of the song to 
have the the music and the words at odds. It's a country it's, country music trope in particular, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, it comes natural to me. Hmm. I think a lot of my music is like that. Well, in all of my happiness is gone, and the the first two songs in particular, like. When you sent me this record, I was very excited. And then I uh, I listened to it. I told you I was excited and I was grateful. But then when I wrote you back a few days later, after I'd been listening more and more, I said, David, are you okay? <laughs> because yeah. the, the level of sadness and depression in some of this music is rather over, overwhelming. But I like I said, I was swayed by the packaging. I, I was a sucker for the packaging. I thought these were kind of jolly. Um, and you mentioned these are really autobiographical. What did it mean to you to express the pain, the sadness that you're going through this way, in this way? Well, I have, you know, for a long time had struggled very, very much with what people call treatment-resistant depression. Mm. It never goes away for me. And I'm surprised I've made it this far, really, in life. There probably were a hundred nights over the last 10 years where I was sure I wouldn't make it till the morning. Hmm. Yeah, I'm a very depressed person. Um, and I felt even worse about myself as time went on and, and I wasn't doing anything. So I do feel better now having completed this project. Yeah, that's good to hear. I was going to ask, does this work help you? It sounds like it does. Yeah. Okay. Now, there are those are the first two songs. When we get to Darkness and Cold, uh, Snow is Falling in Manhattan, and these... By the way, I feel like the record is sequenced in a very purposeful way. Am I... I feel like the songs kind of correspond with one another, maybe in pairs. Is that fair? Yeah. You thought about this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so there are themes of death and depression and sadness and loss, but there's also very prevalently, I think this is a a breakup record of some kind. When I think of darkness and cold and snows yeah. falling in Manhattan uh, and it will get to it. She's making friends. I'm turning stranger. This is, this is reflective of something that's gone on in your life. Right. Well, Cassie and I have been married for 20 years. And when I quit music 10 years ago, like I said, I really retreated into myself and Cassie went on and, you know, she got uh, her degree in occupational therapy, and she's very people-focused and is very nature-focused and all the things that I'm not. We never really had conflict, the kind of conflict that results in divorce, but I think we had the kind of need for to live our lives you should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Without the other one, without me being at home and her out all the time, we, we kind of got into a multipolar trap where everything she was for, I was against and vice versa. You know, we stopped living together about two years ago. We haven't gotten divorced. Very sentimental. And neither of us have, have, have moved on. But, yeah, the story's there in the songs. It feels quite explicit. And, I mean, you've done some poetic things with this this personal fodder. I mean, not to sidetrack the conversation, but, like, I'm just fascinated by the champagne pink and the band-aid pink cars yeah. and 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 the kind of uh you know juxtaposition of someone maybe living their life the best they can and you observing it from a from a dark place is is fascinating yeah i knew that i was going to have to deal with that someday with her being with someone else and i found that idea excruciating hmm. and so I wrote about it to experience it first through the song. Yeah, it's it's very compelling and effective, if I may say. Um, and it's it all of this has impacted me and inf- affected me anyway. And I ho- I know more people will probably echo that as they hear it. Um, Snow is falling in Manhattan is something of an anomaly in terms of its sentiment. It feels a bit less personal somehow. Um, I hear I feel water levels rising and climate, maybe a little climate change in there. Maybe that's my reading. What were you thinking about with that song? Well, I mean, it's kind of a tricky song. I started writing it and there was a guy on the porch and he was sweeping his stoop as it was snowing. And I didn't really feel like I knew anybody or I could write from the perspective of somebody who owned a brownstone or or something in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. But I saw I started to think in terms of, of a caretaker and like the Teddy Roosevelt house where he was raised. <clears throat> I imagine there's a caretaker. And I realized after a while that the caretaker could be a metaphor for the singer that's the voice in the song mm-hmm. and that the listener would realize after a while that I described the caretaker bringing in a cold friend into the house. And then um, by the end of the song, you realize that the listener is that person and that I'm the host that's left this ghost behind huh. the voice. And the voice brings the Anytime you turn the song on, you reinstantiate that this this house, this room that I claim that songs build in time. They're pieces of architecture in time that you can return to or you, you can instantiate by turning them on and and then and you come back to them again and again like you might to this place. I mean, that, that was all clear, right? <laughs> well, it's going to make me want to re-listen to the song that I've been listening to for months and 
and try to get back into it uh, from that perspective. Yeah, no, it was it was clear on some level. It actually sparked a thought as well because I, I think people know you as a songwriter and as a poet as well. I think of you as occasionally, anyway, a narrative-based songwriter where there can be a point A and point B every once in a while. Do you engage in sort of narrative storytelling uh, in your practice at all? Not very much. I'm I'm definitely a, a product of the postmodern era. I think in fragments, and no, I don't have a really good handle on storytelling abilities. Hmm. Okay, so you don't you don't try to write pieces of fiction per se. No, I didn't. There's an ex- I, there's a there's a thing on your blog about um, a bunch of dudes. I think discussing uh, the nuclear holocaust. Is that something that you're quoting, or is that something you wrote? Uh, they're going back and forth with each other. Oh no that that was picked up by. They were German scientists that were being held as prisoners of war. And that was a discussion they were having when they found out about Hiroshima. Because they had been, of course, trying to create the bomb on their side, too. Oh, but so it was, that's a fact, factual transcription of something? Yeah, they were all they were being taped in their quarters by, you know, the Americans hmm. who held them. Okay, okay. So we aren't to look to your blog necessarily for... Expressions of fiction, narrative fiction. No, uh-uh. <laughs> okay, okay. The next song uh, after Snow is Falling in Manhattan is Margarita's at the Mall, one of the catchiest songs, and I think one of the, in some ways, kind of one of the angrier songs. Uh, the the voice, the narrator says, how long can the world go on under such a subtle God and also with no new word from God? We were talking about your religious affiliation and interest earlier, Um this is an existential song, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, definitely disappointment. Cosmological disappointment. It feels like I wrote here, I don't make many notes, but I thought of the mall as some kind of weird purgatory, um, as sort of being in between things. Do you feel in between things? As, or did you feel in between two lives or two existences in this song? Well... The world of commerce is kind of a purgatory in itself. The church created the doctrine of purgatory so that people could do business. You know, before the previous setup with just heaven and hell had Europe locked down. And purgatory really came up with ca- with capitalism hmm. and um, allow- allowed people some religious freedom in a, in a certain kind of way because they weren't completely condemned by money lending or whatever sins were holding them back from from becoming big bankers and merchants. Hmm. That's all somewhere in this song? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there. And the notion of drinking margaritas. It's like a resort, almost. It's just uh, a fun time. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Okay. I'll, we'll leave it at that for now. I don't want to. I appreciate you engaging in this exercise, by the way. I don't want to spoil spoil, spoil songs for anyone, but I, I just you're here. I want to ask you these questions. Oh, I'm there. There are no secrets. Yeah, I'll answer any of your questions. <laughs> so the next song is "She's Making Friends." I'm turning stranger, which is a recurring lyric. I think I read somewhere or heard from you somehow in a statement, maybe that. Maybe you said it here. I'm all jumbled here. But there's something about 
these songs finding these lyrics finding their place maybe in multiple places in terms of music and this she's making friends i'm turning stranger is a recurring lyric right in the song itself no i feel like making friends i'm turning stranger shows up somewhere else as well um i don't have a note on it right now no this, i mean i i say friends and strangers a lot strangers comes up a lot maybe that's what it is maybe i'm i'm conflating that i apologize but that that's a that's an interesting and funny turner phrase given the sad sentiment behind it where does that sort of stem from it's just a kind of play on words that you would find in a country song that's it yeah okay and i mean we've kind of spoken to maybe the breakup aspect of it of like the the interesting thing is you there's a coexistence within these songs where the two parties seem to have understood that something has ended but not completely nothing's concluded right so that's kind of where you're coming from right right that in that song has a happy ending like it wasn't true to true to life okay um, but it is true to life because Cassie and I are still friends we still have the same bank account we still she own a house together she's my she's really my family you know she's all i have as far as family anymore and um so it's difficult to disentangle ourselves we're separate that's kind of why i just stay up here in chicago because it enforces separation that i think it's healthy well there's a couple of instances on this record and a few of these songs that i mentioned that relate to this particular subject where you're also i think dealing with the spectacle of a relationship like you two have your relationship and an understanding between you but you're also self-conscious or conscious of the public perception of your relationship and where it's at is that fair yeah yeah like how you're observed being out in a park together. Like what's going on with those two <laughs> or or something? Um, you're conscious of that. I'm very conscious of that, yes. Does that drag you down a little bit? Just the, um, it's a weird thing when a, a relationship begins or ends. Everyone else that you know has some kind of investment in that. Well, it's very, yeah, it's incredibly painful to, to separate. It's It's hard because you think of your, the dreams that you had, you know, yesterday I was in a grocery store and a Shania Twain song came on from the era when Cassie and I first moved to Nashville and um, it just, you know, yeah, broke me up. And that's a Shania Twain song who I'm not, do you, do you, have, do you have an affinity for her generally? No, but those songs were on the radio at that time in 98 when we first moved there. Yeah. So I do have an affinity for the, for the country music that was on the radio when we first moved to Nashville. Right. Okay, the next two songs on the record are I Love Being My Mother's Son and Nights That Won't Happen. Each deal with mourning, loss, death. Um, again, you and I um, have exchanged messages about our moms and our um, their struggles with, with cancer and... Um, that's that meant a lot to me that you were checking in and reaching out. I, I do want to say that. Um, so thank you for that. Um, and and as a update from my perspective, in case you were wondering, she's doing rather well actually. Um, so that's been good for me. But um, I know that you were. I think when at one point we were corresponding, you were trying to write and finish this song. I love being my mother's son. It's all yeah. there in the lyrics. But what do you want to say about that song? 
Oh, I guess that was the first song that I wrote. And I think it was kind of self-soothing. It was immediately after my mom's death when I was just hanging around in her little house and something about playing the guitar, the vibration of the wood against your chest. That's when I really picked up the guitar again. And I think it was, it was kind of like meditation, but it was also kind of like massage. Hmm. I just played these simple chords and I knew it was about my mom, but it didn't have any words. But I knew that the uplift in it and the sweetness in it. It's a beautiful song. I think any child uh, who loves their mother can totally relate to it and be be touched by it. Um, so thank you for writing that song, if that means anything to you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Nights That Won't Happen follows this song. And it offers, I think, your philosophical take on death. The dead know what they're doing when they leave this world behind. Uh, all the suffering gets done by the ones we leave behind. This notion that, that that's true, that uh, for the dead, it's it's over on some level. For us, the morning is just beginning. Um, this song is related, I assume, to uh, the loss of your mother on some level. Yeah, yeah. Her and, and a couple friends. This is to soothe you. I mean, the other song might have been uh, a lullaby that you couldn't sing, but it seems to me that this song is for us, for us still here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a negative, it's a it's a burn the bridges type sort of song, but and there's probably some anger in, t- in it too. But it's like I said about the early years of your marriage when you have all these hopes and dreams. And thinking about what won't happen because you're not together with someone, because they're dead or because you're separated. Yeah, you resent the departure, actually. Yeah. Right. That's part of the healing process, the the questioning of why. Yeah. That's interesting. Who to blame? (laughs) Who to blame (laughs) for these things? Um, Okay. Okay, well, I want to move on to, I think, two of the more upbeat songs somehow uh, in the record. I don't think this, the last song is particularly upbeat in its sentiment, but in terms of arrangements, the the record picks up. Um, Storyline Fever, it almost has a rap quality, like early prototypical rap days, yeah. I find. Uh, what's going on with that song? You say Storyline Fever and Storyline Flu, I think is what you're saying. Um, is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah, so st- what what is that? I've never heard that expression, Storyline Fever. I made it up. It's it's basically CBT therapy, you know, that it's a, it's about storyline fever would be when your mind is captured by a narrative of some kind, whether it be romantic or spiritual or political, but how storylines tend to drive us and how we see the world through them. And so storyline fever is just um, like slang for being carried carried away. I see. Know? I see. And that storyline may be that things will never get better, or it may be that I'm I'm all washed up. Um, <laughs> you might make a better Larry than a Lizard King, I believe, is one of the lines. Yeah. <laughs> Some funny funny lines in this song, I have to say. 
Yeah, that's where I put the funny lines. <laughs> and the riff, uh, you mentioned your rhythm guitar earlier. The the primary guitar part is really cool. That's a Woods invention? I don't know. Which part? The, uh, it's the main riff. Yeah, that's Jeremy. It's very cool. Yeah, I like it too. Yeah, it's a really good one. And then the the record concludes with uh, maybe I'm the only one for me. This to me seems like a classic country music motif on some level. Um, but it seems also very honest. Is that how you're feeling? Well, I yeah, in a way it, it is. Like I, I, I don't have any desire to be in a relationship with anyone else. And I do feel basically... At the end of, I'm on the I'm on the other side of my career as uh, Lothario or something. Um, I have very low sex drive, and I'm not really interested in a relationship. Hmm. But I was speaking really also to the reality of we read so much about the um, fate of uh, young involuntary celibates. And uh, oh yes, the incels. Yeah, this is definitely an incels from an incels perspective, and I also realize it's kind of the ultimate like neoliberal love song here, as we sit in a place of peak individualism. Hmm. It's not the kind of message that I'm proud to spread. I don't. I hate that Whitney Houston song, The Greatest Love of All. And I don't intend the song in any way to be a love song to the South. It certainly isn't. It's more of a you got stuck with yourself song. Right. Maybe I'm just stuck with myself. But do you uh, come a, come on the other side of that? Do you feel okay with that? Yeah, yeah. I do. Okay. It's not a, it's not a sentiment of self-pity. No. It's a sentiment of, well, that's the way it is. <laughs> it's like that toughen up, you know, like it, if no one wants to fuck you, you got it's your fault. It's right. Your Don't <laughs> want about it. That's probably a message that a lot of people need to hear. Well, I um I appreciate you going through the songs. I know that one of the uh major narrative aspects of Silver Jews was that uh touring didn't occur much and when it finally did everyone, including myself, was very, very excited to see the band live. Do you anticipate touring with Purple Mountains? Yeah, it's gonna. We're gonna tour um, right after the record comes out in August. Wow. Okay. September, and I've got a lot of yeah. I've got a lot of touring to do. I've got a, I've got a lot of credit card debt built up. I see. I see. This is a necessity. This is a necessity. Yeah. But at the same time. It's not just. I look forward to it. Yeah. Okay. I, I gather you're you're jazzed up. <laughs> you've you've got something to say again. Yeah, I yeah. look forward to it. I'm jazzed up a little bit. Okay. And so, what else is going on? Have you, after slaving over these Purple Mountain songs, are you writing still? Is there more material form formalized form formulating? Yeah, I have a lot of extra stuff this time, um, and usually. I don't write for a while after I've written an album, but I've kept writing. I, I, I have plenty of material. Okay. That's 
That's really heartening to hear. I forgot to ask in that touring question, is Canada on the map? Of course. I love Canada. <laughs> That's exciting. This is very exciting. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this. Well, uh, in terms of people following Purple Mountains on the computers and their phones and whatever else they use, do you want to direct people to any particular site besides dragcity.com? Well, I don't think we have a site. I'm trying to Twitter <laughs> a little bit, but I've just been Twittering pictures. That's PR, PL, MTNS. So who actually controls the Silver Jews Twitter? I just recently grabbed it from some from the guy who'd been controlling it for years. Okay, good. It drove me crazy because he would put other people's lyrics and write just off topic as if I didn't I just did not understand what he was doing. I couldn't I couldn't get through to him and hmm. I couldn't so I he gave me the keys. So. Okay, good. Because it's a verified account. So, you, okay, but people can follow you on Purple Mountains and again, dragcity.com for the new record, uh, which will be out, it sounds like, in July sometime? July 12th or something 4th. like that. Okay. Now, if we can go out on a song from this record, uh, would you mind selecting one for us, David? Something you'd like people to hear? I guess I would say Darkness and Cold. That's my favorite song on the record. And it's the last one that got written. Very cool uh, backup vocals on it. Who's responsible for those? Yeah, that's Jeremy Earl. And yeah, he came up with a really wild noise that he said. Wata? Yeah, it's like a cowboy sound. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I think of it as like a cowboy whooping somewhere on the plane. Yeah, I love it. And um, he did a lot of amazing stuff like that. Okay. Well, I'm pleased to play it now. This is Darkness and Cold by Purple Mountains. David, I, um, you know this already, but thank you. This is a thrill. I, you know this. You know I'm a fan. Thank you for being a friend and for coming back as it, as you, as it were. And um, I hope I see you and speak with you again soon. And best of luck with everything. You too. Thank you for everything.
abyss and cold Darkness and cold rolled in through the holes in the stories I told Conditions I'm wishing were taking control Darkness and cold, darkness and cold Eternal gratitude and thanks to David Berman, one of my heroes, one of my all-time heroes. You know when people say, if I could just do this one thing in my life, in terms of like my career, that would be it. I wouldn't need to do anything else. This gets me one step closer. Offering you a David Berman interview gets me one step closer to that. That's how I feel. What more can I do? What more would I want to do? David's been on the show. We've spoken before, but this it was special, and I appreciate David letting me talk to him and uh, letting you hear it. So thank you, David Berman. Thank you, Drag City. And thank you for listening to this, the 481st episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms and also on things like Spotify and YouTube and Audio Boom and other things as well. If you want to learn more about me and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter and scan the archives of this podcast, please visit my website, vishkana.com that's v-i-s-h-k-h-a-n-n-a.com you can like Creative Control on Facebook follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative or follow me directly at vishkana you can also listen to our radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world at cfru.ca or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph also please 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 visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going it can be in any amount you wish and you can always change your mind or alter the the pledge the donation but it's really the only source of income i get for doing this show is 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 the patreon so if you'd like to keep supporting me and the show 
uh, please, patreon.com slash Control. Thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts for their in-kind support of this show. Thank you, as always, to my friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use one of his songs to end the show each and every week. Uh, you can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. Got to hang out with Jim the other day. We went to a screening of the new Jim Jarmusch zombie film, The Dead Don't Die, and I think I think he liked it. I liked it. It was funny. So anyway, Jim, learn more about my trip to the movies with Jim at jimguthrie.org. Thank you very much for listening to this episode and subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends about it. It really, that's the only thing keeping this engine running. So thank you very much, and uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode with David Berman and more more cool episodes to come. I don't see how they'd be much cooler than this one for me, but uh, I'm going to do my best. Do my best. Thank you, David. Thank you all for listening. I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.